Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. Happy May Day, everybody. May 1st, a day where all around the world, people are paying tribute to the working class or where workers and unions, larger workers' movements, peasant movements, people's movements are in the streets marching. A holiday, as I think most of you probably know, that was born in the struggle for a shorter work day, the eight-hour workday, started here in the United States, but because of anti-communism, which, as we've said on our show over and over again, became the unofficial religion of America, of the United States of America after World War II. People in the United States, including many workers, don't know that the origin of this holiday celebrated all over the world has its origin in Chicago, has its origin in the United States. And on May 1st, as a response to the American Federation of Labor's call for a nationwide strike, this is 1886, a nationwide strike demanding a shorter work week. Many of the work days at that time were 16-hour shifts. So people work 16 hours, maybe an hour to get home, an hour to get to work, six hours left to sleep. And that was the, the condition of the working class in the United States and everywhere where capitalism had taken root. And on May 2nd, the day after the strike started, the nationwide strike in Chicago, there was a police attack on the workers. The next day, there was a big protest. And at that protest, a bomb went off that killed several policemen. And even though there was never any evidence at all that the leaders of the demonstration had anything to do with it, and there was a lot of speculation that there was, in fact, a, a police provocation or a provocateur, perhaps from the bosses who did that. The leaders of the eight-hour day movement in Chicago were put on trial, and they were executed. They were hung even though there was no evidence. And August Spies, who was one of the eight who was arrested, one of the eight leaders, and the moments before he was executed, while he was on the scaffold, he yelled out, there will come a time when our silence will be more powerful than the voices you strangle today. And when he said those words, again, moments before his execution, his hanging, those words became emblazoned on banners and leaflets and flyers and pamphlets and throughout Latin America, throughout Europe, throughout North America. They became a clarion call for a shorter work day. And to honor these workers, the International Socialist Conference in 1889 named May Day May 1st, as the international labor holiday. And that became, in fact, the origin of May Day, International Workers' Day, just as International Working Women's Day, March 8th, was also started in the United States as a consequence of the struggle 
of working class women in the United States. And it was proclaimed by parties and organizations in the Second International, the Socialist International, later, a couple years later. So in 1912, officially March 8th, became International Working Women's Day. So these two great holidays, International Women's Day, International Workers' Day, having their origins in the United States, but neither were officially recognized. And in fact, under Richard Nixon, May Day became Law and Order Day. Yeah, Law and Order Day. It became sort of a nation. It wasn't a, a day off holiday, but it was commemorated everywhere in 1970 in the United States as Law and Order Day. Well, today on May 1st, in Virginia, in the state of Virginia, not far from where Nicole and I are, Virginia will begin the year-long purging of an estimated 400,000 working-class people from healthcare roles, from Medicaid roles, and they will be sending these people into a state of not only additional immiseration, but they won't be able to go to a doctor. So Virginia and many other states are winding back the Medicaid expansion programs that began during COVID. I'm going to read to you from the Washington Post. The tedious process known as Medicaid unwinding, like those words, tedious process. The tedious process known as Medicaid unwinding will disproportionately impact children and Latino and Black residents. Federal studies show many of the same groups the government identified as particularly vulnerable to job loss and other economic impacts of COVID. The start of Medicaid disenrollments come as the federal government puts an end to a boost in payments for the tens of millions of Americans who receive food stamps and benefits like free coronavirus vaccines. Oh, you wouldn't want people to have that. And free coronavirus tests. No, you wouldn't want to have that. All of that is set to expire on May 11th. So Medicaid unwinding in Virginia, but in many other states, including where we are in the District of Columbia, it's going to start soon. Of the 400,000 people, this is starting Workers' Day, May Day, May 1st. This is when it begins. The 400,000 who will lose access to health care in the state of Virginia. Of the 400,000, 140,000 will be children. That's how the United States, that's how U.S. capitalism recognizes May Day, May 1st, the day that Medicaid unwinding will begin in earnest in the state of Virginia. It says so much about where things are. There's a couple other big stories I want to talk about. First Republic Bank has collapsed, and over the weekend it was taken over with the help of the Federal Reserve by J.P. Morgan Bank. They were rushing. The Federal Reserve worked all weekend to make sure that the bank takeover happened before the stock market opened this morning, Monday, May 1st. Again, to make sure that all went well. And this is the second biggest bank failure. We're going to talk about that in our interview with Richard Wolf, which will air on Wednesday. There's another story. Moderna CEO Stefan Bancel, chief executive of Moderna, had a good year in 2022 exercising stock options that netted him 
nearly $393 million. But the company decided his pay wasn't good enough. I'm again reading from the Washington Post. The Cambridge mass-based biotech known for its life-saving coronavirus vaccine raised his salary last year by 50% to $1.5 million and increased his target cash bonus according to March securities filings. Get this, Bansell, age 50, says he is donating the proceeds of stock sales. We'll see about that. He owns stock now worth at least $2.8 billion. And as of the end of last year, had additional stock-based compensation valued at $1.7 billion. Moderna, get this, Moderna emerged from the pandemic as a standout corporate winner as its vaccine supercharged its stock price and made billionaires of Bansell, he's the CEO, and two co-founding board members. The firm's windfall profits have drawn criticism, particularly because it used $1.7 billion in taxpayer funding and assistance from the National Institutes of Health to develop its vaccine. Okay, Moderna didn't develop this. This was developed by public money. But like in all of these public-private partnerships, so-called, these handful of capitalist billionaires who contributed nothing to the process, but who were the legal owners of Moderna, which then in the moment of crisis, both the Trump administration and then the later the Biden administration, basically giving publicly funded research and development at NIH, at the National Institutes of Health, over to this private capitalist biotech company, which didn't, it didn't develop it. It was developed by public money, by the government, basically, by the NIH. But they get the windfall profits. And so the Washington Post said they had, what was it? A stand, they were a standout corporate winner. I mean, can you imagine here? And you people wonder why there's so much you know, cynicism about vaccines and hesitancy. Well, yes, the right wing took advantage of it politically. They manipulated data. They cherry picked facts. They told people don't do the sensible thing, which is to get a vaccine in the middle of COVID. So yes, the right wing promoted it. But there are, when you have a pharmaceutical industry in a healthcare industry that's premised only on how to make billionaires ever richer, it gives the right wing a lot to work with. And it shouldn't just be the right wing. I mean, we promoted a common sense public health policy on this program, which was get vaccinated and wear a mask in the middle of COVID when the death rate was very high and more than a million Americans died. And even now, by the way, I was talking to a friend who's a medical doctor, a an internal medical practitioner who sees patients in a low-wage, low-income area in the country. And a lot of her patients are still getting COVID. And the ones who are unvaccinated are going in into intensive care. But she told me 350 to 400 people are dying from COVID today, every day. I didn't know that. I didn't know that because the whole psychology and presentation from the media has changed. One more story. 
Joe Biden has asked for a favor. Here's Financial Times. Joe Biden urges Wall Street donors to fill $1 billion plus campaign war chest. Backers say president will have an incumbent's advantage in fundraising, but see concerns about his age and his popularity. Well, if he's too old, he'll be 86 by the time he finishes his second term if he's reelected. Uh, he's already so, I mean, virtually incapacitated. The guy can hardly speak a, a sentence. He can't function in press conferences. But he's asking a favor from Wall Street banks and equity firms and hedge funds. Hey, can you help us out? Can you give us $1 billion? Anywhere else in the world, this would be understood to be a corrupt political system. But when the media is writing about this in the United States, it's like, Joe Biden makes an appeal. Joe Biden wants a favor. And by the way, the Republicans will get the same donor base. When you look at the donors after the fact, and even before the fact, when there's you know reports coming in about donations, even though much of it is now hidden because of Citizens United Supreme Court decision, which allows billionaires to give unlimited amounts of money to candidates without really being able to have any public accountability or knowledge. But the Republican donors and the Democratic donors are going to be the same for the most part. The corporations invest in both parties because it is an investment and it's their system. Anyway, Nicole, let's stop there. Let's open it up. I know we have a quite a number of questions. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 